Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome in to another edition of the Jamie Sports News Podcast. I am Bennett Conlon, and I am joined by Jack Fitzpatrick. I should have worn my Mariners hat today. You got a Seattle hat on. Uh, I got the Mariners hat. I found it at a Nike outlet store in Charlotte, North Carolina for $10 originally. And I got to say, Nike hats fit the best out of them Mm -hmm. all. Um, Also, I'm going out to Seattle later this summer at the end of June, beginning of July, going to catch a Mariners game. So uh, after that trip, I'll be decked out in full Mariners gear. I'm wearing a Kyle Busch NASCAR shirt. Uh, It's going to be a Seattle. I'm thinking a throwback Mariners stuff. But you're repping the best thing out there, the Jamie Sports News quarter zip that only you have. It's a one of one. It's a one of one. It's a unique outfit. I'm a unique stylistic individual, and I wanted to show that on a podcast medium today. You know what else is a unique stylistic individual? Bet online. Because it's your one source for all of your basketball <laughs> info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines, including the latest player reports for this year's pro basketball playoffs. Bet Online is always your sports information headquarters this season as we have you covered for all of your sports wagering needs. Basketball, MLB, NHL, hockey. I guess that's what NHL is. Right to UFC <laughs> and boxing. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to get all of your betting info including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games you can play right from your home. Head to betonline.ag today or use your mobile device to head on over to betonline.ag to get in on the action. Be sure to use our promo code BLEAV. You see it scrolling along the bottom if you are tuned in uh, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. And if you're tuning in live on Twitter, Facebook, or YouTube, and you have any questions, we have, I think, five of them coming up later on in the podcast, which I think is the most we've had in quite probably since football season. But if you have another question that comes to you while watching this live stream, be sure to drop it in on Twitter at us. You can put it in the comments on YouTube and on Facebook, and we'll see it right here on StreamYard. But that's all the housekeeping stuff out of the way. Do you want to just dive right on into this bad boy? Yeah, let's do it. You had some fantastic stats breaking down just how big JMU lacrosse's win over Maryland was this last weekend. Do you want to just share that real quick and just to kind of put it into perspective how amazing of a win this was, uh, not only for the lacrosse team in general, but like the entire women's lacrosse landscape? It was huge to, to beat a Maryland program that's really darn good is pretty cool. So they, um, since 2010, (laughs) Maryland, Maryland women's lacrosse is 269 and 33. During that span, they have five national championships. I believe they have 15 as a program in total. So they've got five national championships since 2010. Uh, During that span, only two teams have ever won three consecutive meetings with Maryland and it's Northwestern and now JMU, which has beat them twice this year and then beat them as well last year. Northwestern's a program that's kind of right up there with, um, with Maryland in terms of the best of the best Northwestern won every national championship from 2005 to 2009. And then another couple in 2011, 2012, and they're right in the mix again this year to, to be mentioned with Northwestern women's lacrosse is a big deal to be beating Maryland women's lacrosse is a big deal. And then I also had had dug a little deeper for Maryland since 1995, they have 17 seasons with two or fewer losses. So it's a little bit of a down year this year, but it's a program that like historically has had a lot of years where they maybe only lose two games, one game, no games, an entire season to beat them twice in the same year is a massive deal. And that win was an insane comeback. I believe they were down by four at one point late in the third quarter. They came all the way back. They took down Maryland. Final score of that game was 15 to 14. And they saw just like a historic performance out of Isabella Peterson, who arguably can go down as women's lacrosse's greatest player. And, 
I think we're going to redo the greatest players of all time, uh, the GOAT conversation for JMU Athletics. She's making a name that she's moving up her that list as well, kind of taking down. We had Kristen Gaudian. No, no ill will towards Kristen <laughs> Gaudian, but I think uh, Peterson has launched her way, way past that and is potentially one of the best we've ever seen uh, put on a JMU jersey regardless of sport. And she's got more eligibility left, so she could have uh, another stellar year next year and put some some crazy numbers up. But, yeah, you mentioned it. They're down 14-10 in the fourth quarter. They scored the last five goals of the game. I had kind of written them off. I thought they were, were essentially done. But lacrosse is so interesting because it's, it's one where you can – right, they do the draw control so you can regain possession where it's it's obviously not like a, a football or basketball where the you score and the, the ball changes possession. You have a chance to fight for it and get it right back. So you can go on some really interesting runs by just winning the draw control. Kind of struggled with it early, got it going late, and put on a huge, huge run to beat Maryland. It's 19-2 and two on the season. They're going into the quarterfinals here to play Syracuse on Thursday at noon on ESPNU. They're, they're so good. We've talked about it before where it's like they're the best JMU athletic program. But some of the stuff they're doing is just incredible on a national level. On a national level, what they have been able to accomplish is quite amazing. And if women's lacrosse, if the tournament had the same level of exposure as the Women's College World Series, I, I don't think like it would be close the type of like national recognition mm-hmm. and national impact. Like women's lacrosse is a damn fun sport. And it's kind of a shame that it doesn't have the same type of coverage that softball does and some of other the other sports around the country do. Because if you were putting this on television rounds one, two, three, four, all the way through the end, this one's on ESPNU, which is awesome. But like if it had the same type of national kind of brand power that the Women's College World Series does, this would – I think destroy what, and again, I'm not trying to be mean to softball here, but like it would destroy that softball run. What JMU has been able to do on a year in and year out basis. Yeah. It's like if the softball team had finished off that, that special season with the national championship. And then what, five years later, they made another run to like Oklahoma city or or within Oklahoma city. It's just, it's so impressive what they've done. And someone else, I think we were interacting with uh, on Twitter was mentioning like when the program is founded, the goal was sort of like, Hey, like maybe we can compete with Virginia and Maryland. Like that'd be really cool to have a season where you beat Maryland twice. You beat Virginia, you beat Virginia tech, got a win over Florida. They beat Johns Hopkins. Like it's just crazy to go from like, yeah, we're like a, not a power school to like the lacrosse team is absolutely a power program. In kind of an area of the country where lacrosse is growing, it's becoming more of a thing. Yeah. But like Virginia is not a hotbed for lacrosse talent, men's or women's. You go to Baltimore and it's massive, hence Maryland being a power year in and year out. You go to the Northeast, specifically kind of Long Island and those New York schools, it's a really big thing there as well. And so for Jamie to be doing this in baseball country, in softball country, in football country – is, is quite impressive. It is. Yeah. It's one where like you look at like UVA men's lacrosse and they always have these good seasons. Then you like go through the roster. It's like, that's a lot of New York kids. Right. <laughs> so, so like, if you want to win in these areas, you kind of got to recruit some of these other places, but it seems like it's growing. I think Shelly Clay's in the post game interview was even talking about like what it could mean for Harrisonburg lacrosse where like, you know, young girls in the region and even young boys are going to watch this and maybe be more interested yeah. in lacrosse than they were before it's it's crazy what they're doing from like a community growth state growth but then also just nationally being able to compete as a non-power program someone else had asked if there was a jmu team this year with a losing record i don't think there was i think men's soccer was 500 i think every other team across the athletic department had a winning record which is just absurd so for them to sort of spearhead that and be like yeah we're like nationally relevant and all these other programs are either very good or also kind of nationally relevant is pretty cool for a a non-Power 5 team. Yeah, and next up they're going to be facing off against the two-seed Syracuse Orange, who just took down Johns Hopkins 25-8. to JMU played Johns Hopkins earlier this season at home, and they took down the number 23 team at the time 17-10. to 
Um, so if we're just going purely transitive property, <laughs> uh, just have their hands full against Syracuse <laughs> this week. But if they're able to take down the orange, kind of pull off that upset, they'll be heading to carry North Carolina in the final four. It's one, too, where Shelly Clays was interesting in the post game, where she was like, it would have been a huge disappointment if we had lost to Maryland. I didn't totally agree, but I get where she's coming from, where like they're talented enough to beat pretty yeah. much anyone and they were hosting the game but like maryland's nuts this is one where now i feel like there's there's really no pressure like you've made the quarterfinals you've got the double you know two wins in the same season over maryland you're going on the road to a really good syracuse team it kind of feels like one where the pressure's off and go out and see what you can do i'm sure they'll be competitive <laughs> even when they've gone yeah. up against like north carolina as they've hung in the game so i'm not worried about that but i don't know they, they've certainly got a a fighter's chance punter's chance yeah, I don't think it's completely out of the question that they can go up there and then pull off the upset. They have arguably one of the greatest players in the nation. Isabella Peterson did get named to the uh, T Warden. Is that what the award is? I, I sound yeah. so stupid asking you. Is that what the award's called for the best player? <laughs> I think that it's got a lot of vowels. I believe that's how it's pronounced. <laughs> um, but she was just named to be one of the finalists for that. The last person to be named yeah. to a finalist for that was Gaudian. Uh, back in their national championship year. And I pulled this up, pulled up this stat while you were talking, just to kind of put it into perspective how dominant Peterson is in her career. She averages 3.6 goals per game. She averages more than a hat trick every game she plays. She's got what? This year she's got 89. She had had seven against Maryland. Seven. Seven. She's so good. It's like when you've got that and then Cap Buchanan's been really good in goal. They've got a bunch of really good defenders, some other players who know how to score. And it's just a it's a great roster. So I think the Thursday at noon against Syracuse, it'll be a fun one. I know a bunch of Jamie fans will be tuned in on uh, sort of that work day afternoon to ESPNU. It's it's a great opportunity to go grab a, another win. Yeah. A great opportunity to grab some fantastic football players. That is the transfer portal, folks. Football has seen a little bit of action. They picked up an ECU wide receiver transfer last week. We did not podcast last week. So catching up on that. But Bennett, I think the bigger question here to ask is JMU has missed out on a lot of portal kids that they have offered. So it begs the question, is the culture broken? People are wondering if football is broken. Because they had some some targets, which I guess we should update because I did mention them in a previous one as targets. So the North Dakota State defensive end, Tony Pierce, I think he's going to Colorado State. Um, there is a LSU defensive lineman who's going to Louisiana Tech. They recently offered a Delaware receiver who picked UConn. I think he's got a good pathway to playing time at UConn. I was surprised we offered another wide receiver because we <laughs> kind of have a lot of wide receivers that seem like they're very capable of playing. They added like four in the portal that are that are all capable of going out there and playing. At one point, we offered a Division II All-American cornerback who's going to Vanderbilt. So there are a few offers there that that didn't come through. But Taji Hudson, 6'4", 205. He started his career at quarterback, then moved to wide receiver at ECU. Super athletic, didn't play a lot. His only catch of his career came against Coastal Carolina in the bowl game, and he started to get some more time and, I don't know. It seems like he's willing to come in there and compete, but they're kind of stacked at receiver. I don't know. That, I don't know that they need more receivers at this point. We'll see what they what they do the rest of the portal session. They've got a lot of really good players. Maybe they had a defensive back or like a defensive lineman, but overall, I think they're they're in a pretty good spot. Yeah. Moving on, transfer portal to men's basketball transfer portal. They added. Uh, let me get the name right. You probably have it off the – you probably have his, his whole stats memorized. Um, <laughs> Bryant Randleman, another Indeed. transfer guard. So they've got their uh, – they got their – unless something changes, which is unexpected, they've got their full roster. You want me to run through it and we get your take here? Because I know you've got some – you've always got some hot takes. Also, the text I sent you, I meant to say bigger, not better. I, I Yeah. I, I kind of thought that was a possibility. But I was hoping that you were like really feisty and you're like, they didn't. Okay. Hit me with the roster. I mean, so just a quick overview before you dive into the roster. They didn't really get that much bigger, but I think they have become what Byington wanted them to become this whole time, which is a team that can play fast and not turn it over. So now they have about a bunch of veteran guards 
who are 6'3 and above, who know how to handle the rock a little bit better than previous teams. So mm-hmm. the Achilles heel for JMU, while you could argue that at times it wasn't battling in the post, at times it wasn't, you know, getting the offensive rebound you need to keep a, a possession alive. It wasn't getting a defensive rebound to stop uh, an opponent's offensive possession. Most of the time their Achilles heel was just turning the ball over at an incredibly high clip, um, which if they could fix that, they probably would have won five to seven more games and been in the hunt for the number one team in the conference tournament. Uh, they probably would have been in the hunt to win the conference tournament. So what Byington went out and did is he got a lot of veteran guards who are a little taller than before, but guys that can play in the lane, they can play back to the basket, they can play in the post, they can play at the elbow, and they can kick it out to Friedel and try and create some more spacing where teams don't don't just put a man on Noah Friedel and run around the court just arm barring him the whole time. Yeah, they seem like that's I'm excited about the roster. I guess I'll I'll break it down by returners and then the transfers, and they only have one incoming freshman. But Friedel, you mentioned, comes back, right, brings the shooting at guard. Julian Wooden's a really good scorer. is kind of like a three, right, six, eight, but probably makes sense as like a small forward. Terrence Edwards, who, if he continues his trajectory, is like a possible conference player of the year caliber player on the wing. Justin Amati put his name in the portal, quickly took his name out of the portal, so he's coming back. As sort of that like tweener, big guy wing um, who doesn't have a ton of scoring necessarily, but a really good athlete who can defend and rebound a little bit. Uh, Xavier Brown is coming back at as a guard. Bryson Blaine is a wing. I don't know exactly how he's going to fit into the plans. He was a freshman last year, true freshman. Jarrell Roberson, who might have to play. We'll get into that. He's a forward rising sophomore. And then the transfers. They've got Michael Green the third, who's a point guard who played at Bryant, and I think what was the other one, Robert Morris. Or Robert Morris. So he's like a ball handler who can shoot a little bit, but he also distributes. TJ Bickerstaff is the big who played really well at Drexel, then went to Boston College, had some decent numbers for a couple of years there. Quincy Allen, sort of a wild card, former top one hundred recruit who's like six seven, six eight, plays on the wing, super athletic and can shoot was at Colorado, didn't really do anything and dealt with like hip injuries. Yeah. Um, but if he reaches like his potential, you're looking at a, a beast on the wing. They added Raquan Horton, who's a transfer wing from College of Charleston, who was a bench contributor for them. That's a big get. I, I like that one. I think he's my favorite transfer to come in because he's, he, a, he's already played that high tempo that Byington has shown that he wants to play. Right. And so he knows how to handle because. Pat Kelsey and Charleston played the highest tempo yeah. of anyone. So I'm very yeah, I like I like that fit a lot. He's also one, like, he's got that athleticism in game where maybe he's a contributor, and then, like, if Edwards moves on, you're looking, like, the next year he can easily slide in and be, like, yep. your guy. So that's interesting there. And then Bryant Randleman, we mentioned the high point transfer, 99 games started at guard. But he's more of, like, a distributor defender who likes to push. He played, so he started 99 games and played over 100 games for high point. He shot 43 pointers in his career. And he's like 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, so he's he's not shooting. And he kind of know like, he can score from inside the arc, but he was 6 of 40 from three. He does not have, like, a, a three-point jump shot. So, which isn't crazy different than some of the guards they had, right? Like, I mean, Strickland was sort of a facilitator with less size, and he wasn't really a, a danger necessarily from three. He would kind of yeah. attack the rim. So interesting there. And then Jalen Carey, who's like 6'7", 6'8", and I think he's like 250, 260 power forward type. So it's a, it's a unique group, a lot of experienced transfers. Am I too high on them? I kind of think they're going to be the Sunbelt favorite. I think they should be the Sunbelt favorite. Um, I think Byington is one of the better coaches in the entire Sunbelt. Um, I think paired with that, and essentially – it seems like they're running it back with the same MO from last year with guys who won't turn it over at such a high clip. Uh, Morse was really good, but he was streaky. Uh, Friedel seemed to kind of find his way into a cold streak that just never really materialized. Mm -hmm. But near the end of the season, he was playing extremely well on the defensive end, which I think will be really, really big. And I think his play on the defensive end and kind of that grittiness, he led the team in floor burns, um, every single cliche you want to say. I think that will get him more minutes and potentially kind of more minutes in big moments. And it seemed like he kind of was losing minutes out on. 
and then pair it all with, you know, veteran guards that know how to distribute. They know how to kind of keep the turnover numbers low. And you assume if Edwards takes that next step, is Wooden coming back? I didn't hear you yeah. say. And then if Wooden maintains being kind of like that lethal three-point shooter that he was, if he can prove that last season wasn't just an outlier, um, I think this team has a real, real shot. If your kind of go-to shooters are Julian Wooden and Noah Friedel, and then you have one of the best playmakers in the Sun Belt in Terrence Edwards, and then you have a bunch of transfers that could make an impact, I think that's really big. Uh, I still worry about size, but it's it's a question of are you six eight, but do you play six ten? And I know that's so cliche, but like we had a bunch of guys last year that played their height. You need guys who, if you're going to be small, have a little bit bigger of a build. That Dwight Wilson, that's going to kind of just body people in the low post and throw up a baby hook and somehow hit it. I think there's the potential of that. Now, if that doesn't materialize. Things can just be like 2022, 2023 all over again. And we're yelling at the TVs come December, come January. Why didn't we get a big in the transfer portal? Right now I'm high on him, but I am hesitantly high. The question I have is, is I think bigger staff is their like post, like that six, nine bigger build. He could, he showed he could rebound in the ACC. Like, all right, like he's your, your post guy. But I don't think TJ Bickerstaff is gonna gonna play forty minutes a game, you know. So I have some questions of like what they what they think is gonna work for sort of the backups there. Because you look at Bickerstaff with his his solid size, but he never played more than twenty four minutes a game <laughs> any season of his college career. So you have to have another guy in there, and it's like okay, your Amadi shouldn't play the five. We've gone over this. Like Amadi's not a five. So Wooden's not a five. So it's you got to imagine too with Amadi entering the portal, like his there had to have because he just kind of did it randomly. Where I feel like there was a conversation had or a transfer brought in, or Amadi was like either was told or saw the writing on the wall that like oh my minutes are getting cut. And then I guess there must be some maybe he's going to have a chance to really compete at the four, and if he can show that he can rebound or something, he's going to be a guy they turn to a lot that I don't know because it's it right now it looks like in terms of like pure size Jarrell Roberson who really didn't play last year but they're high on as a rising sophomore and then your incoming freshman Jalen Carey one of those guys if not both of them is going to have to be able to back up Bickerstaff because I don't think you want 15 minutes a game of like a Mahdi or Wooden at the five like that does that wouldn't make sense I think you'd expose yourself too much to like good sunbelt bigs if that's what you're doing. So I do have that question because they're loaded again at guard and wing. They're experienced. They've got a nice roster, but it's like, if you can't defend the two again and like contest some shots at the rim, you're, you're doing kind of a similar thing you did last year. We have one giant vulnerability. Yeah. So your wish list on the JMU sports news portal tracker uh, was <laughs> I want a shot-blocking big man. I still don't think they have that. They didn't get um, that, I don't think. Which is a bummer. But if you cut – instead of averaging 20 turnovers a game, I think they were averaging like 18. If you could cut that to single digits slash maybe 10, yeah, I think you win a lot more games. You lost a lot of one-possession games a year ago. If you can cut down that turnover total – I think that might mask a lot of underlying issues with this team. So it will. I think let me pull up real quick the old Ken Palm just for old times' sake. <laughs> but they had the uh, the efficiency numbers defensively. So they finished the year 80th in, in defensive efficiency, with the two glaring weaknesses being two point defense, <laughs> where they were 202nd nationally, and block percentage, where they were 290th nationally. Yep. Don't know if they <laughs> don't know if they necessarily fixed that. Um, but the turnovers, they were turnover percentage, 222nd nationally. And that sort of killed them a little bit. Like they were 150th in offensive efficiency. So if like, even if the defense struggles a little, right, blocking shots, they could still be a top 100 defense. And if you just don't throw the ball away, you're looking at maybe a top 100 offense. And that's like, you know, they're probably not building like a final four team. I think that's a good recipe to like contend for the Sun Belt. I agree. Um, women's basketball should contend for the Sun Belt again in 2023, 2024. They put together um, 
despite losing one of the best players in program history, they've added a few really solid transfers. And I think we just got a little bit more news on exactly what they're adding overall. Um, three scholarships are currently available for the women's team, and they are targeting some experienced guards. Hevine uh, Bristow and Carol Miller are being courted quite actively by JMU currently, both of which are experienced guards from Power 5 schools. Would not complain about that. Covered Carol Miller at Virginia, pretty solid player. Our minutes, I think, sort of went down the last few years, but was still started 67 games at UVA and had some moments where she was a solid contributor. So interested to see uh, what her role could be if, if they end up landing her. And then Bristow played at Ohio State and had some talent. So They've got a good roster regardless. They added Olivia Mullins, which I think we talked about, St. Joe's transfer point guard. That's official now. So they should be good, even without Kiki Jefferson. They've got a really, really good roster. And um, some of their like underclassmen, bigs, post players entered the portal recently, I think, with sort of the notion they weren't going to get a ton of playing time, which gives Jamie a chance to add some, some maybe some other contributors in the portal. Yep. And before we dive into listener questions at the end of today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit of realignment. Folks, JMU going to the ACC? No, they're going to the SEC, baby. (laughs) Man, realignment rumors are back. Welcome back to the realignment (laughs) podcast. Sports Illustrated had a juicy little story talking about how uh, the ACC, the the Magnificent Seven, is what they've deemed themselves. Maybe the dumbest name I've ever seen, but it's yep. seven schools and some others that are interested in getting out of the grant of rights, which would mean they could leave the ACC um, because they're sad about revenue distribution. They kind of want more. They want to go to the Big Ten or the SEC. I think the seven, it was <laughs> Virginia and Virginia Tech. All right. All right. <laughs> I can kind of understand Virginia Tech because they had like storied goodness. UVA, I feel like, hasn't been good in 30 years. I think UVA is because of the academics and, like, the prestige. So the Big oh Ten, the God. Big Ten, like, okay, we add a basketball winner with yeah. a bunch of, like, Olympic sports winning. Yeah. And then we can we can have them be, like, you know, Rutgers, where they just get murdered and nobody cares best. during football. Yeah, like, we don't care Every about football. Every few season. years, they put together, like, this surprising 9-3 and three season, and you're like, Whoa! And then very back. northwestern vibes. Very <laughs> northwestern vibes, where it's like, look at how sweet our facilities are. It's a beautiful campus, <laughs> and then it's like, you, wow, you suck at football. <laughs> so they would definitely give some northwestern vibes. And then uh, North Carolina, North Carolina State, which I think they're linked through like uh, the school system in, in Carolina. And then uh, I think it's Miami, Florida State, and Clemson, which kind of make a little Florida State and Clemson make some sense. Clemson's a big deal in there sort of wallowing away in the ACC. But they uh, they might try to get out. It seems like that could be a challenge legally. And then the Big 12 and the Pac-12 are just trying to steal each other's teams was sort of my understanding. And then the um, the Pac-12 is also keying in on, which may be the more interesting part for a group of five people, on San Diego State and SMU, which they could add at some point. And then I think the Big 12 had looked at like Memphis and UConn for mostly basketball reasons. Okay. Um, and it, it, UConn would get like a big financial benefit from it. So they might screw over their Big East basketball, which is wonderful just to get themselves into a, a league that makes more money. But from the group of five perspective, I think the Sun Belt not having anyone like floated to be poached is good. And then we also need to make clear from like a JMU perspective, if that happens to the ACC, the remnants of the ACC are not like desirable. You to, mean Morris, Duke, um, uh, Georgia NC Tech, State, Georgia Tech. NC State's not even included. They would be in the seven. They're the, oh, magnet- they're in the seven. That's right. My bad. My There's bad. The, it's Boston College, Syracuse. Like all those programs would probably also try to leave for like other leagues and might just find themselves like in the Big 12 or Pac 12 or something. Uh, the Sun Belt's okay. Like I think that's where Jamie is going to like. The, I know there was this Mickey Matthews had floated like to the Athletic. Like in twenty years, they could be in the ACC. Twenty years, it sounds like the ACC is going to be destroyed. So ideally, <laughs> that won't come true because it doesn't seem like the ACC is going to like live on in the way that JMU fans have thought. The ACC to me is desirable as a JMU fan because it would mean you're playing Virginia Tech yeah. and UVA on a yearly basis. 
if you joined an ACC where you're playing Boston <laughs> College and Syracuse on a yearly basis, I'm fine. I'd rather play Marshall and App State. I'm sorry. Exactly. It's one where it's like if if Georgia Tech is so sad that Georgia Tech or Wake Forest would join the Sun Belt, sick. But, but like if that's not the situation, then I don't think you're uh, you're interested in any of that. Also, with the recent history of the Sun Belt and how everything is kind of realigning right now, like in front of us with the Magnificent Seven, the Sun Belt could easily put together better history in the last five years than what the ACC has put together because you had Coastal, a major brand, and now you have all of a sudden Coastal's not gone away and assuming they have made the right hire for their new head coach. They have Grayson McCall again this year. Then you have Troy, who just had a fantastic year. South Alabama was one of the hottest teams in the nation for a short time and almost took down UCLA in mm-hmm. UCLA. Then you've got JMU. You have App State, which is in a little bit of a down, like kind of doldrum period, but they've had the history. Like Sunbelt could easily be better than the ACC in five years if the Magnificent Seven leave. Yeah, it would be like immediately. And the other thing too is like, if you've got these other group of five conferences, like the Mountain West looks like people are going to try to pillage from them. Yep. I know Boise State's got to be like shaking in their boots that they weren't floated. It's like a Pac-12 edition. They're going to want to get out. Like I just, it feels like if those conferences all weekend, Conference USA and the MAC are already irrelevant, respectfully, that like <laughs> if, if the American gets like Memphis poached and then you look at all these these teams getting poached away, the Sun Belt's in a pretty good spot. Now the issue would be like if the Big Ten and SEC create their own little playoff. But even then, I think JMU is well positioned. So I know it's like we've almost been like conditioned to think where's the next move for JMU. Honestly, it seems good to just like hunker down, do your thing, try to hopefully they go to a 12-team playoff and they don't like cut out the group of five in some capacity. Then you're in a pretty good spot. Sun Belt seems like a great spot. Yeah. I agree wholeheartedly. Moving on from all that realignment talk, feels like it's midsummer talking about some realignment already, but here we are, May 16th, and realignment has, has come. Um, some listener questions. This one is from Jackson Koslow. Is there any chance JMU will move out of the Sun Belt into the Big Ten or the ACC? And is there a certain amount of time required to stay in the Sun Belt? I think what we just answered and what we just talked about there kind of answers that question. Is there a chance? It's not not zero. It's also one where like, you know, I don't know what leagues will look like in like three decades. But like, I don't know. Let's at least get like bowl eligibility before we talk about 100% and also like (laughs) let's let's be able to have like a graduating class in the Sun Belt. And this is probably the best place to be for the next 10 to 15 years. The thing that I think people are forgetting a lot with all these conversations is like the schools are looking for money, right? So you read the Sports Illustrated thing and you've got all these like presidents, athletic directors in the ACC that are mad they're not getting the same revenue share. From like a fan perspective, I get why that would be interesting to me for like future matchups and things. I don't really care about Jamie's bottom line that much. Like I'm not going to – like I don't wake up in the – like. I don't tailgate to see like their revenue reports. You know what I mean? Like it's, I like watching the games. It was sweet when we went to ODU last year, hung out with our good friend, Brian and his family and watched JMU thrash a team that had like in-state meaning. Like, so I think don't lose sight of that where like the ACC is pretty cool and they're going to like end up maybe blowing it up because they want more money. We're from like a fan perspective. Let's just enjoy the like fun games. We could lose the UVA Virginia tech rivalry because both of those schools go to two different conferences and you just lose something that fans look forward to each and every year that brings so much bragging rights in the win over ODU. That is a historic rivalry. That win brings you bragging rights. You have the, what's it called? What's the stupid name for it? The Royal rivalry. Rivalry. You have that now like in place. That's pretty fun. So yeah, let's, let's, let's pump the brakes a little bit. Um, Listener question. Number two, this one is from Joey Needham. With all the experience added to JMU men's basketball roster with three transfers using their last year of eligibility and two young wings with high potential, where do rising sophomores of Brown, Roberson, Blaine, and incoming freshman Carey factor into the rotation, in your opinion? Bennett, do you want to start us off on this one? 
Yeah, I think my take would be Roberson and Carey are going to have a chance to compete just because there's maybe not quite as much like low post depth. Brown's pretty, I like Brown. I think we both like Brown at point guard. So I figure he'll work in at least a little bit. Blaine's the interesting one because he didn't really get any run last year and they're just like deep, unreasonably loaded at wing again. So that's one where I I would be surprised if he saw significant minutes this year, unless he really balls out over the offseason. Yeah, Bryson Blaine, a 6'5". He was 195 last year, so won't necessarily – assuming he doesn't hit like a a growth spurt to go to like 6'7", 6'8". Do you imagine if he just became like a (laughs) 7-footer? I think most of his growing is done unless he adds some muscle. I don't think he's going to be putting on 20 pounds. Um, So his kind of spot as a wing, yeah, I don't see him breaking into the rotation too much. Uh, Brown, I can see is kind of the sixth man off the bench coming in as the first guy in carry. I actually don't expect to see carry a lot, if at all. Uh, I think he'll kind of have the role of Roberson where it's going to be a year to work on your body, to work on your footwork, to work on your game and kind of learn the, the, the post play at the college level. Roberson though, will be very interesting. I think he has a potential to play 20 plus minutes a game. If he can be the shot blocker, it, it changes dramatically like their outlook i feel like like bigger staff playing in the post and then roberson blocking shots would make them pretty pretty darn cool yep um this is from daniel what are your favorite additions football has made in the portal can i go (laughs) you'll have to start jordan mcleod yeah i was gonna say I'm shocked to hear that. I'm shocked. The to starter, hear that. The, the the starter against Bucknell, Jordan McLeod. He's going to go down as one of the best one year wonders, right there alongside Todd Santeo. Jordan McLeod's the best. I'd say second, uh, Phoenix Sproles, just because that's yeah. a damn good name, and we stole him from North Dakota State. So take that, Bison. Yeah, I think I kind of like like all of their portal additions. They seem like they've added guys who have a chance to to play Taylor Thompson's another one. I think a tight end could be a lot of fun as a receiving threat, but all the receivers, it seemed like that had like four receivers who could legitimately play. And then the one that's, that probably doesn't ever get talked about that maybe should um, Ryan Hansen, the punter from Arkansas state, who was like an all conference player that cause like Signetti's not that bold in fourth down situations. So they like, they play a lot of defense. They have some conservative tendencies, Harry O'Kelly. And then who was the punter last year? It was the Sacramento State guy. I don't, name, I, I don't even know. They scored it was like 97. Though. Clark, right? Sam Clark. Yes. Yeah. So they, um, they weren't the, they didn't kill the punts. Like I think Hanson gives them a little, a little bit of a weapon there that actually could be valuable because special teams last year I thought was, was underwhelming. So uh, you could say that special teams a liability at times, specifically the return game. I really hope they figure that out. Me too. Um, Duke Dog Ray, <laughs> what happened to having an actual dog mascot? JMU used to have a doghouse on the football field during the season, too. Um, it is fitting that this question comes from someone who is at Duke Dog Ray with a Duke dog as their profile picture, asking about what happened to the real Duke dog. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I really got rid of it. Of a doghouse. But I think maybe it all changed when PETA got mad uh, when the Duke dog got scared on game day. I didn't even know they got rid of the dog. If that's true, you got to like send that to the breeze or something. That seems like right up breezes, breezes alley where you start asking around and have a big story on where the hell Duke dog is. Uh, Last but certainly least, Dominic (laughs) Olumbo asks this 15 page question. Um, what does this athletic year do? Let me, let me restart that. What does this athletic year do to, in a sense, dog, what? <laughs> this is worded. So weird. What does this athletic year do in a sense of cementing? Not only, am I crazy for reading this in a weird way? I, I, some of it's commas. I think what I think that comma might do it, but I think he's essentially asking, what does this athletic year do? to cement not only the current strength of JMU's athletic department as a whole, but also its future longevity. They had five tournament final appearances, effectively two and a half conference title, lacrosse run, field hockey near the NCAAs, et cetera. It's a good question. I think he answers the question in his question. I, I think, I think it cements it because of what, what he stated, uh, essentially two and a half conference titles, 
teams are dominating. Lacrosse is making a deep run and they made yeah. easy work of the American mm-hmm. um, in lacrosse. And then on top of that, field hockey seems to be putting some things together. And with all of that, you only had one team finish 500 or worse. Yeah, it's nuts. I kind of feel like they're due for, I feel like they made like incremental steps forward and they're due for like an insane year. I keep, I tell myself this every year, but they're like, I think the missing piece yeah. is going to be the men's basketball team winning an NCAA tournament game. Uh huh. And then it's going to be, I think, baseball making the NCAA tournament. Those are the two that it feels like if you had the football team go like nine and three, and then you had like both basketball teams make the NCAA tournament with the men's team winning a game. And then you had like lacrosse next year, like in a final four in the baseball team and softball team in regionals. I think people nationally might be like, what the, like, who are they? Who is this James Madison? Like if you're constantly in people's face where it's like, Oh, right. They're good at football. And then their basketball team won a game. And then, the spring sports are good. They're they're due for one year where they go like insane in the like in your face revenue generating sports. Yeah, I agree. And I think this year has just cemented that JMU is the cream of the Sun Belt. It, it's near the top. It is it's one of the best teams in the entire Sun Belt. And this year just cements that and it is a fantastic springboard to move forward. Um, we did forget Diamond Dukes, just a quick update. Yeah, you're trying to get that. away here now that Ike's got the boys rolling, huh? <laughs> softball softball season uh, is effect, is is done. Uh, they, had the, they had the selection show, and it is officially done. Fantastic year for them and a lot of excitement moving forward. Some big-time recruits coming in. So uh, the future of softball, while the light seemed a little dim this year, I think uh, moving forward it'll just get brighter and brighter. So big things ahead. On the softball side of things, on the baseball side of things, uh, their their game against Virginia Tech today was canceled. Yes. So they have one remaining series left on the season at Georgia Southern. What they did to ODU is mind-boggling. They went out and beat ODU, a top 75 RPI team, 25 to 6 on Friday. And you got to assume that's against ODU's Friday starter, which is normally one of their best starters. But if they don't have their best starter on Friday, you would assume they would have it on Saturday. That was a 6 4 win. Then they dropped Sunday. They couldn't get the sweep. They lost 8 to 5. Could have uh, put together a fantastic run with a win against Virginia Tech at Veterans Memorial Park. But as it stands right now, JMU is 5 and 1 over its last six after that UVA loss. They're cooking right now. I'm, I'm, you know, eating my words a little bit. I think uh, we had, you know, I had pretty much said they got to move on from Ike. It would be a shock now if they did move on. I don't think they can, to be honest, even if they lose out, I think they're, they're giving Ike that at least that final year of his contract next year. So uh, yeah, good for them. Good for them rolling. But I will say, can they keep this going? They've got the series with Georgia Southern, which is a big one because I think right now they're sixth in the Sun Belt. And if you're if you're seven through ten, you have to play a single elimination game that first day of the Sun Belt tournament. If you're in the top six, you avoid that. And then you get into like the double elimination or whatever it is after that. So if you mean the top six, it's massive. If you get two of three this weekend, I think they can be in there if you sweep. You're, you'd be locked in there, but you got to maybe at least win the series to have that become a reality. So huge weekend for them. Disappointing they couldn't play Virginia Tech with the weather and then having to travel for that Thursday start to that series where if they were playing uh, on Friday, like usual, maybe Tech plays them on Wednesday. But it's a big series. Let's see something because they're rolling right now. Two things before we get up on out of here that I want to ask you. Or I guess not ask you. I, I want to say one statement that I'm going to ask you a question. Georgia Southern is 88th in the RPI, just a bit higher than JMU, who is checking in at 95. Um, that That's more of a statement, but kind of a very similar. This, this is a series that it'll be difficult because you're going on the road, but if they're able to win two of three, that is massive. With that being said, if they go to Georgia Southern, they lose those three. Then they lose the first game of the conference tournament. Or if they make it into that top round where it's yeah. a double elimination and you finish the year 
with five losses, and you're sitting at 29 and 26. Does that not make you feel like I still think like maybe I'm just way too down on it, but like we can't use this five in one stretch to forgive a UMass Lowell series loss. Mm-hmm. We can't use this five in one stretch to forgive the absolutely terrible showing at Southern Miss where you got run ruled. The last few months have been really good, but I just think the entire body of work doesn't do enough where this six-game stretch forgives it all. And one other point, Florida State sucks. Like, coming into the year, Florida State seemed like we had a ranked team. They suck. And so, like, yeah, it's awesome that you've done what you've done here over the last few weeks, right? But you're still one in seven against quadrant one teams. You're 18 and two against quad four. Mm -hmm. If you scheduled a tougher schedule to start the year, you are very much sub 500 if those numbers kind of extrapolate out over the year. So, like, it's awesome that they're one of the best batting average teams in the entire Sun Belt. It's awesome that they're five and one. It's cool that they beat ODU 25 to eight. But if you go out and you don't win a Sunbelt tournament game and you maybe lose this series against Georgia Southern. I'm not saying fire Eikenberry. Maybe he's done enough to get another year, but like this, this, this run over the last month, isn't just forgive everything that has been the entire baseball program over the last seven years. I think that's very fair. I think they still need to show more, whether it's the end of this season or next or whatever. I think I'm okay with them letting Eikenberry finish out since they did give him that two-year extension last year, finish it out. But I, I agree with you that, like, hey, you still haven't actually done anything. Like, you're, you're just inside the top 100 of the RPI. You are hanging in the Sunbelt Conference standings, but, like, you've got some really disappointing losses in there, too. And some chances were, like, it could have been a lot different. But they've also gotten – they've had some nice blowout wins here recently. They've also gotten smoked. A handful yeah. of times. 16 to 3 against Coastal. You had two Miss or three. South Alabama run ruled you. Southern Miss run ruled you. Um, let me see where else. You swept Louisiana. You lost 10 6, 9 7 against App State. Against the best teams in the Sun Belt, you're not doing what you need to do. You're beating up on teams similar to you and slightly better than you. But again, I can't stress this enough. In quad one and two combined, they are eight and sixteen. In quadrant three, they are three and three. In quad four, congrats, you're eighteen and two. Should be twenty-one and zero, but I mean twenty and zero. But that's besides the point. I think the like the fact of the matter is that I guess they've only gotten. I think they've only gotten out of a regional one time in program history, and it was when they went to the College World Series and. 1983 but they haven't been to the ncaa tournament since 2011 you can't have like what we talked about we're like oh yeah lacrosse contends for national championships nobody has a losing record the football team is sweet the basketball team both of them are like finagling their way through the transfer portal era to a point where they're both going into next year like you could literally have the sunbelt favorite in like you Football, might have the East favorite basketball, yes. women's basketball, lacrosse. Uh, yeah. Like you, yeah, you're winning like the American lacrosse. And then like you, you have all these teams that are poised to do really well and, and contend for the Sun Belt. I mean, you're even looking at like the women's golf team has a lot of success to the point where they, they've had so much success that their Sun Belt tournament was widely regarded as a disappointing showing. Like most times you don't know. Like as fans, like <laughs> what the women's golf team showing would be. Oh, they finished eighth. Said this year they won so many times in the regular season. You're like, oh my gosh, what a disappointing showing. The baseball team has to be held to a similar standard at some point where it's not like it feels very much like the Matt Brady era. We're like the Lewis Rowe era. Where they yeah, they do a little something and people are like, Did you see this? Like the potential has gelled together. And then it's like I know, but they they lost in extra innings in that final ODU game and what would have been a massive series sweep, yeah. giving you a little bit of cushion to get in the top six yeah. seats. There's just there's little things that are always there. So I'm excited about how they're playing. At the same time, if you go through the next two years and don't make the NCAA tournament, I don't know what the justification is for 
for not getting a head coach who can get you there. I agree. The excuse is mediocrity. You're okay. But let's go. Let's go beat Georgia Southern. Go get that sweep and maybe win some boat. Heck, if, if you're getting hot at the right time and you can go yeah. in and win two or three against Sweet. Georgia Southern, take that into the conference tournament and make it to the conference tournament championship and lose to Southern Miss in a competitive game, I will eat all of my words. I will come on and say extend Eikenberry for another two years, for another three years. The sad thing is I just don't think that's happening. But that's that's fine. It's the same, same kind of optimism, though, that we had a lot of times during the Lewis Rowe era, right? Where you'd go into the conference tournament and they maybe had won two out of three or something. And yep. you're like, you know, if Matt Lewis catches fire here, something could happen. And then, like, he will for a game and then they lose and you're just like, oh, right. It's, I also don't want to be that guy again, but I'm going to be that guy. They, their pitching staff still is a little questionable. They've still allowed a lot of runs quite often. It's just that their offense is one of the best. It's on a tear. (laughs) It's like if their offense doesn't come one game and they can only score five runs, things might might get ugly. But that's my last piece on uh, it's It's going to be a big weekend here. And uh, a big Sunbelt, I think at least a win in the Sunbelt tournament is going to be important for them. Because if they do struggle this weekend, get knocked out early, you can go very quickly from like, you know, this – this motivational uh, taking something from the UVA loss, building up on it, and then you can immediately throw that out the window. So uh, some big games ahead. Yep. Well, anything else you want to add? No, I don't think so. Awesome. For Bennett Conlon, I'm Jack Fitzpatrick. You guys have a wonderful rest of your day. We'll talk to you next week. See ya. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.